Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. So the stakes are high. If the pro-choice position is correct, then abortion is a basic human right. If the pro-life position is correct, then abortion is the killing of a child. We're here on Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I want to frame it by giving you just a few of the statistics. We have 800 and 62,000 abortions in America in 2017. Out of the, all of the pregnancies that we have, all of the live births, one abortion for every four live births. That amounts to 24% of women in America who will have an abortion at some point in their lives. This makes it one of the most common surgical procedures in the US, and more than 60% of the people who get an abortion are religious, with 13% of them claiming to be evangelical Christians. So here we are, the Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I understand how difficult and challenging a topic like this can be. Because I know there are women here who have had an abortion. There are women and men here who have encouraged others to have an abortion. And so I'm not in any way, it isn't my intention to hurt people or to pass judgment uh, or anything like that. I'm not going to be able to nuance everything that I say. So I sort of want to just apologize in advance for things if they, if they sound harsh or unkind. That isn't my intention in any way. Uh, but I do hope to speak very plainly to you about a very difficult and uh, passionate kind of a conversation. I do assure you, though, this isn't a political conversation for me at all. This is a biblical and moral issue for me. Now, I am speaking from a biblical worldview. My background, of course, is as a Christian. And so there are a few assumptions that I start with. I, I believe that the Bible tells us that every person is created in the image of God, and that means we are worthy of love, protection, justice. I also think that the Bible makes it abundantly clear that God formed us and he knew us while we were still in the womb. And there are some very beautiful and powerful scriptures that tell that story. One of the things that often surprises people, though, is just how pro-life the early church was. 
I mean, it's pretty startling when you start to go into the early centuries, first century, second century, third, all the way up through the 400s. All of these letters or leaders of the Christian church had spoken plainly and forcefully against abortion. This is not a modern conversation. It is a very ancient one. And the church has been pro-life from the very, very earliest of days because we inherited the pro-life position from Judaism. And so all of these letters, Clement, Tertullian, Origen, Cyprian, Basil, Jerome, big names, Augustine, all had spoken passionately against abortion in their day. Now we could develop any of these biblical topics and it would be really encouraging in many ways and for many of us to do that. There's lots of texts throughout all of the Bible that would be utilized in that kind of a biblical study. Uh, but, and that would certainly be more in my wheelhouse. Uh, but it isn't the direction that I want to head in this morning. I want to head in a slightly different direction. What I really want to do is I just want to talk to you about why I am pro-life. I just kind of want to lay that out and how I've sort of begun to understand this over the, the many, many years now that I've been pro-life. And I know that we have all sorts of different people here. I know we have pro-life Christians who are here in the room, people just like me, pro-life Christians. And for you, what I'm hoping is that today I'm just, I'm just going to try to equip you a little bit. We don't really talk about these topics as much as we used to. It's not something most of us read about or study or anything like that. We just sort of, just, we just are, and it, maybe we feel that way, but we don't really think about it or talk about it. I just want to equip you a little bit more this morning so that you might be able to carry these ideas and this message forward. There are, there's another group of people here who are Christians, but you're pro-choice. And what I want to do for you this morning is I, I just want you to consider what I'm saying. I just want you to be open. Uh, and I want you to, honestly, I want you to prayerfully bring what you hold dear in this area before God. And just see how the, the pro-choice, your pro-choice convictions line up with your Christian convictions. I just want to encourage you to be open-handed in this and, and willing to let God do a work if that is, is what's going on in your heart. Just, I just want to encourage you. And in fact, I, I do want to change your mind. And so I'll just kind of lay my cards on the table. I really do hope that at the very least I can begin to change your mind. If not, if not uh, change it, at least give you something significant to think about. And I also know there are folks here who are pro-choice and non-Christians. And so for you, uh, I, I'm really glad you are here, and I really do hope that I'm able to uh, speak to you in a way that you consider respectful and, and, and kind and all of that. And I do hope that at the very least, you know, obviously what I would love is for you to also change your mind, but, but what I really do hope at the very least is that you just get a glimpse into the heart of at least one pro-life Christian. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping to accomplish uh, here this morning. And so my structure is pretty straightforward. Over the years, I've discussed this topic uh, with lots and lots of people. And so for today, what I did is I wrote down just a whole series of some of the questions or objections that I've heard over the years that people have to the pro-life position. And I'm simply going to just work my way through those questions and do as many of them as time allows. So the first of these is, 
Why do pro-lifers think that life begins before birth? Now, in New York State, and that is our state, this is not nationwide, but in our state, you can get an abortion right up until the moment you give birth. And so those are the new legislation, that's the new laws that we've recently passed here. And so if life begins sometime before birth, then we would be killing a child if it's aborted. That's, the, that's what we have to come to grips with. And so we know that we can do this legally. The question is then, when does life begin? And for many people, they like to speak about heartbeats and brainwaves, because that's really kind of how a lot of us experience it, right? We talk about things dying, and when someone dies, it's when the heart stops and when there are no longer any brain waves. And we go, well, obviously the person is now dead. Well, then why, why wouldn't we use the reverse of that at the very least for life? Why wouldn't we just be able to say, well, at the very least, if we have heartbeat and if we, we have brain waves, then we should at least say, certainly life is there. Most abortions happen after six weeks, 75% of them. That would mean that brain waves are stopped by most abortions. Heartbeats are now detectable within four weeks. That's when most of the other abortions occur. So most all abortions will in fact stop a beating heart and will cause the brain waves to stop. But I think we can actually go further than brain waves and heartbeats. Because nowadays, of course, we have access to the whole field of genetics, something that has been a huge, uh, a huge field of inquiry that helps us determine the nature of life. There's a writer on these topics, Randy Alcorn. He said that from the instant of fertilization, that First single cell contains the child's entire genetic blueprint in all its complexity. This accounts for every detail of human development, including the child's gender, hair, and eye color, height, and skin tone. Take that single cell of the just-conceived zygote, put it next to a chimpanzee cell, and a geneticist could easily identify the human. Its humanity is already that strikingly apparent. See, these things matter. The progress we've made in other fields does help us, it, it helps inform our decision about when a new life is actually created. You know, we talk about the developmental stages of a human. And so we, we have categories. We've kind of broken them up in, into these big giant life stages. And we have adulthood. And before that, we have adolescence. But before that, they're in childhood. And before that, they're in the infancy stages. And language is such a key part of this whole conversation. And you'll see it. Pro-choice, pro-abortion, pro-life, anti-abortion. We all, we all pick the, the, the descriptors that we like. And, but what ends up taking place here is we go into this whole, these whole other stages of development. But they're just names for a different stage of development, and we sort of have to remember that. You know, we talk about the fetus, but the, the fetus is it's Latin for offspring. It's, it's the young one, and, and it's, it's a name for a particular 
the stage of development of human life. Same thing with the embryo, even the zygote itself. It's, it's a stage of development for human life. You know, a baby at conception doesn't look like a human as we discuss what you know, humans ought to look like and as we compare them to adult humans. But a zygote looks exactly like a human is supposed to look like at that stage of development. And that matters. You know, we, a toddler doesn't look like, a, like an elderly person. An infant certainly doesn't look like an elderly person. You might say, well, they're more similar. Well, that's true. They're, they might be more similar. But they look exactly like they're supposed to at that stage of human development. And that, of course, is exactly what we find inside the womb. We came across a video that uh, will sort of remind the, us of this whole journey and kind of highlight the developmental stages along the way. Welcome to the amazing world inside the womb where every tiny baby grows and prepares for life after birth. It's also the place where bonding between mother and child begins and where each little one's lifelong health is partly established. Human development begins at fertilization when a male and a female reproductive cell join to form a unique single cell embryo. At about 24 hours, the single cell embryo divides into two cells, then four cells, and so on. This begins the incredible transformation from single cell embryo to precious newborn. You may be surprised to know that most body parts form and begin to function in the first eight weeks, even though full-term pregnancy lasts 38 weeks. By 22 days, the heart begins to beat and quickly resembles the heart of a newborn. By four weeks, the baby is surrounded by a fluid-filled sac, and her heart is pumping nutrients to her entire body. Here, you can see her beating heart in slow motion, just four and a half weeks after fertilization. Do you see how her heart changes color as blood enters and leaves its chambers with each beat? By six weeks, the baby begins to move, and he will turn away if lightly touched on his face. Brain waves have been recorded as early as six weeks and two days. By seven weeks, the baby begins turning her head and moving her hands. Individual fingers are emerging from his hand plates, and his eyes are developing rapidly. Leg movements are also seen, along with the startle response. The baby's four-chambered heart is now nearly complete and continues its life-sustaining activity, resting only briefly between each heartbeat. By seven and a half weeks, the baby's fingers are separate. His hands begin to touch in the midline, as do his feet. Here you can see her beautiful right eye, 
surrounded by her brand new eyelids. Between seven and eight weeks, the baby forms nearly 2,000 additional body parts. By eight weeks, the baby's brain is so complex that parts of it closely resemble the brain of a newborn. The baby begins breathing movements even though there is no air in the womb. Even at this early age, most babies prefer to use their right or left hand, just like you do. In just eight weeks, the remarkable single-cell embryo has blossomed into one billion cells, which have already formed an estimated 4,000 body parts and a dozen body systems. By nine weeks, the baby begins to suck his thumb, swallow, sigh, and stretch. His face, hands, and feet now sense and respond to light touch. Yawning begins by nine and a half weeks. By 10 weeks, he practices walking motions and his fingerprints begin to form. By 11 weeks, the baby's mouth and lips are fully formed, and she continues to grow much larger. By 12 weeks, the baby opens and closes her mouth and moves her tongue. Her hands are fully formed. As pregnancy progresses, the baby continues to grow and acquire new skills, hearing, sleep-wake cycles, responding to sound and light, forming taste preferences, recognizing mom's voice, and more are all a routine part of the fascinating prenatal journey. We're reminded when we see the pictures like this as to just how far along developmentally that a child is, even in the midst of laws that allow us to go all the way to the very end of a pregnancy to abort. So when does life begin? Here's the thing. All the other measurements that people try to use in different states do different things, they're arbitrary measurements. We talk about the size of a baby. Are we really willing to say that, that a, a toddler is less human than a 20-year-old? because the size difference. So then why do, we, why do we make that distinction as the baby gets smaller in the womb? We talk about dependency. Really, I mean, that's what matters because a newborn isn't completely dependent upon us to make certain that they survive. I mean, can we really talk about dependency as sort of a, a hard, I mean, some would tell you that teenagers are more dependent upon us than toddlers are. And I think that goes now until like 30. So, like, it's, you know, it's hard for us to say that. It can't be about location. I mean, inside the womb, outside the womb, you know, it's like you have a pet in, in the house, outside the house, in the yard. It doesn't change the nature of the creature itself. And if it doesn't apply to, a, to your pet, 
then why would we apply that to our baby? Some, we used to talk about the quickening. That was a big one because that was what a mother could first feel movement. But think about how arbitrary a position that is because now we know from the technology that we have that movement starts much, much earlier than when, than when the quickening happens. Not to mention different women feel it at a different time and so it's an arbitrary number. You're gonna tell me that, that once, you know, once we, we can feel something that that's the only indication that life has begun? I mean, what if we actually can now video and watch it? Talk about viability, some states do that. That's also a moving target. When is the baby viable outside the womb? With increases in technology, that date keeps changing. It's getting younger and younger. Wait until the day we create a mechanical womb. Then what? And then suddenly we're all going to come to an awakening that life really did begin earlier? There is only one scientifically objective point, conception. It's when a genetically unique person is formed. And since getting this wrong might be the killing of a child, how can we risk any other position? Another question that's come up over the years is, doesn't the pro-choice position better support women's rights? You know, coupled with this is the idea that we can't just consider the baby, we have to consider a woman's rights. And this is absolutely true. We must. Because abortion not only kills children, it harms the women who have abortions. Not only does it kill children in general, it kills baby girls disproportionately. You know, abortion clinics, they, they talk about choice, but most of them will refuse to give real information. They're not going to talk about developmental stages. They're not going to let you listen to the heartbeat. They're not going to show you. They'll turn any sonogram type of ultrasound equipment, they turn it away so that you wouldn't be able to actually see what's happening. They won't use language to describe a baby. You know, this is, is this really choice? So many pro-abortion advocates have wrecked the lives of many women who will live with deep regret and guilt and many of the other physical and emotional problems when they find out after their abortion what really was going on. That doesn't sound like choice. Not to mention abortion is widely used around the world to kill baby girls. And I think this matters in this conversation. Uh, Pro-abortion advocates are promoting a practice that is killing millions of women a year. Abortions based on gender are incredibly common, even here in the States, more so around the world. It is perhaps one of the leading reasons for an abortion, because the baby is a girl. Between China and India, an estimated 80 million girls have been aborted. There was one doctor who reported on her practice of mostly Indian clientele. She discovered that 89% of the women carrying a girl opted for an abortion. 89%. This hardly sounds pro-woman to me. There can be no equal rights for women until there are equal rights for unborn women. I mean, do any of us really want our girls growing up in a world that is 60 or 70% men? This is partly why so many of the early 
women's rights leaders and feminists were so adamantly against abortion. They saw the inherent anti-woman nature of the abortion culture. Saren Foster, president of Feminists for Life, without any exception, the early American feminists condemned abortion in the strongest possible terms. Listen to what she's saying. Without any exception, Susan B. Anthony, early advocate for the women's right to vote, when a, a woman destroys the life of her unborn child, it is a sign that by education or circumstances, she has been greatly wronged. Alice Paul, she wrote the feminist document, The Equal Rights Amendment. She called abortion the ultimate exploitation of women. See, I don't think it's so easy to say that the pro-choice, pro-abortion position better supports women's rights. Related to this idea is a question that says, why are pro-life Christians pro-birth but not pro-women. We want them to go to full term, but you know that's all we really care about is that they have the baby. It doesn't matter what happens after that. And that has not been my experience. Over many decades now, the pro-life movement that I have been a part of is profoundly pro-woman. And we have, a, we have a special guest with us here today. I want to invite her up, Doreen Jansen. Some of you know Doreen. Doreen is, uh, works with Soundview Pregnancy Centers. Let's welcome Doreen. We are uh, so glad to have you here with us. Thank and, you, it's good uh, to be here. I just wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about Soundview and find out what is it yeah. that Soundview actually does. Yes, yeah, Soundview Pregnancy Services, um, some of you may be familiar with our ministry. We offer women resources and alternatives to abortion. You can easily find an abortion clinic on Long Island, but to really find a place where you can go and find tangible, practical resources and support that will undergird a woman's decision is rare, and basically we're the only ones who are doing that. And here. now, of course, uh, you have a second location here yes. in East Meadow, we which is great. two locations, one here in East Meadow, very close by. Yes. And now, uh, from conversations in the past, there was a time where you guys were not a medical right. facility, but now you are a medical. We just talk right. a little bit about yes. that? So when I first came into the ministry back in 2011, I did some research nationwide and found that a very high percentages of pregnancy centers were what they call going medical because there was a profound difference in the way that a woman would choose in her pregnancy whether or not she could actually see the baby on sonogram. So you saw how powerful those videos were that you can actually see the development of a baby. Well, imagine a mom, a young mom coming in and actually seeing her baby's heart beating on that screen. And that is a turning point for so many women when they realize that this is not a problem. Well, they have issues and problems surrounding the pregnancy, but that baby is not the problem. That baby is a life. That baby is her baby. Hmm. And so after a woman comes in, she's looking for help. Yes. You, she gets to see a sonogram. She gets yes. to hear the, the heartbeat. Yes. Then what does Soundview 
do to support her. Yes. We realize that even after she sees the sonogram, she still has a lot of the same situation, the circumstances that she's coming in with, and those are valid issues. And we have a support system that will undergird her decision. Once she becomes a client of Soundview, she's enrolled in educational classes for parenting, for newborn care, breastfeeding, uh, childbirth education. We even do childbirth planning sessions with women to really show them and give them the support, not just show it to them, but literally give them the support they need to go forward and be a good, you know, stable mom. Uh, we support women and families up to two years after their babies are born. And so it's not just a matter of, you know, save the baby. This is, we realize that this can be a difficult decision, and we want to walk alongside of you in this decision and even beyond that. So it's a full service. We have an OBGYN physician, uh, medical staff, nursing staff available, but we also have the emotional and social support advocates to support them as well. So it's a fairly extensive support network that yes. you've got going for them. Yes. You must make tons of money. Oh, um, we are rolling <laughs> in you must the dough. You must, charge, you you must, charge, diamonds? You must yes. charge the women <laughs> lots and lots of money for all these services. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Um, we have no financial um, benefit from her decision one way or another. All of our services are free to her. Um, some of the services that we provide would cost her hundreds and hundreds of dollars to just go to a doctor. Um, to a childbirth education class costs four to five hundred dollars. Uh, many women you just let don't do it. Insurance and copay all pay for we, this. No, we do nothing of the kind. So it's our so ministry. Anyone can come in. Anybody can come totally in. Totally free. Totally free. All the services. All the services every day. See, that's that's the way to do it. <laughs> that I like. Amen. Yes. That I like. Right. Now you you support a woman who chooses life, and that's yes. amazing. And now you're, they're able to sort of buttress their decision. They could right. pursue adoption. They could pursue parenting. Absolutely. All of these, these options now are mm -hmm. available, and you will give them guidance and support. Yes. But what happens now, because you're, you're just obviously you're a pro-life organization, right. what happens when a woman falls in those 10 or 15 or 20% who after they, they see their baby on the sonogram or they hear the heartbeat that they're still so overwhelmed, they're not able to actually uh, go through with the pregnancy and they choose an abortion. Then, then what does Soundview do? Do you forget her? Do you do mm -hmm. nothing? You know, one of our, not one of, but the most important core value that we have as a ministry is that we treat every woman with dignity and respect. And that's unconditional. Whether she chooses life or she chooses to have an abortion, we do grieve for her because we know the pain that's associated with that. But we want to open our doors to her as well to come back. And we tell her this. If you go forward and choose to terminate your pregnancy and you're struggling with that decision after the fact, please come back because we do offer post-abortive recovery, which has been very successful in helping women to heal from the aftermath of abortion. And I can speak to this because I am one of those women. I have had abortion in my past, and it was very painful for me. And for decades, I carried this with me until I understood the love and forgiveness that Jesus offers. And it's not dependent on what that sin is. It's for all sin, and it's for all things. And you know what? For me, it wasn't something that I pursued. It was something that I, it was a, an assault on me, and I became pregnant because of that. And so there's just a lot that goes along with an abortion decision, and we cannot judge anybody for having made that decision. But we do want to offer everybody the same love and compassion and help and hope and healing that's available. 
Now, one of the neat things I know over the years, we've discussed how you realize that Soundview doesn't sort of work out there as their own little island, but right. you hope to have not just uh, the physical and emotional, psychological, but there is a spiritual component yes. to what you're able to do as yes. well. We are a ministry, and the core of our ministry is the gospel. We want, we want women and families to know that there is a God who loves them. We want them to know Christ as their, as their ultimate source. And so we have relationships with local churches. We have churches all over Long Island that support the work that we do. And it's these churches and these communities that we are looking for to be able to direct a woman who has now come through our center and we've met her at the point of her need practically, emotionally, and spiritually been able to open the door a little bit for her to say, yes, I do want to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Yes, I, I do want to know more about that. But you know what? The work of the pregnancy center has pretty much ended at that point, and now it's time for the church. Now it's time to be able to plug her into a community where she can have her children grow up in this loving community and go to Sunday school and go to your kids' programs. And what you're doing here, what we're doing here as a church and as pregnancy centers is we're changing the course of a family's life. We're changing a generation. We're we're, this is transformation happening. So it's more than just save the life. It's about, it's about really life transformation and discipleship. And that is the, what I love about our churches like yours that support the work that we're doing. We're doing this together. Yeah, Beacon's got, uh, we've been long invested in Soundview uh, as a ministry. We support their fundraisers. We do a couple of drives yes. for them here uh, as well. Some of our folks, you guys know Katie, Katie Miller, I don't know if she's out there already, but uh, she's uh, involved in their leadership team. And so she's we've on our board. Had we have volunteers here. Yeah, volunteers. I, know, I have a few ladies here who are already volunteering. I, you know, you're out here, so thank you, thank you. So, so let's just uh, yes. thank Doreen for thank all the you. great work that uh, she's doing. We love what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, she'll be outside after the service as well as with a table there. And uh, they're doing like a this very cool, like a, uh, like a, what, it's a baby shower for the center, right? And so it's like a baby shower for the center. It's super cool. You, and if you want to be a part, uh, see Maria and, and Doreen outside afterwards. You know, I love organizations that support women during such a challenging time. And it's the way that followers of Christ can, ought to do. It's what, what we can contribute to this conversation. You know, my uh, wife and I, uh, we were married young. You guys, many of you know this already. We were very young, and uh, we were 20. And so somewhere right after we were married, we were talking about our pro-life convictions and, and what that would look like in real life. And one of the things that we had uh, agreed was that no matter where we were, if we were like apart from each other, we couldn't communicate. It's not like we all had cell phones back then. But like if one of us ran into a woman who was considering having an abortion, that without discussion for the other, we could offer whatever she needed to choose life. We, we, would, we would tell her, you could come, you can live with us. We will pay for all of your, your medical needs. We'll make sure all the way up through you know, the, the birth itself, if you wanted to keep your baby, then, then that's great. If you wanted us to adopt or to have someone adopt your baby, that would be great as well. And we will help you through that. And my wife and I had made this decision that that's just who we would be from the very start. And there were a couple of times through the years where we thought that that might actually be the direction and the door that God was opening for us. But you see, there's, and that's been my experience, is that the folks I have known have been profoundly pro-women. I don't think it's a fair caricature 
to say that the pro-life movement is not pro-woman. All right, another question I just want to hit here for a moment is that why do Christians try to impose their morality on others, right? Why not live and let live? You know, I, some would say it like, I believe abortion is wrong, but it should remain legal. That's kind of that whole group of ideas and questions. And as a society, we're pretty torn on this topic already. So like in 2004, for instance, Congress passed the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. That allows for the conviction of anyone who harms a baby while still in the womb. And so we acknowledge that a baby in the womb deserves protection. The irony, of course, is that a mother on the way to an abortion appointment could be hit by a drunk driver, and if she loses the baby, the drunk driver could be prosecuted. You see how torn we are. You see these, these kinds of, of moral dilemmas that are starting, that have long now presented themselves. Or think of this. In 2000, the U.S. House of Representatives voted unanimously to delay the capital punishment of a pregnant woman until after delivery. They voted 417 to zero. The bill that they passed stated that no state or federal authority, including the military, could carry out a sentence of death on a woman while she carries a child in utero. So the, the woman, the, the, you, want, you want a hands-down, fully protected life? If the mother is on death row, you have it. That's where we protect them. But, but the point in this is that they've, we've already passed legislation to protect the unborn. And even though states and, and some governors are trying to roll back these sorts of protections, many of these are still on the books because we know, 417 to zero, we know that babies in the womb deserve protection. And we throw choice in here, and all of a sudden, that gets taken off the table again. But we actually know what is right. We know it in the deepest parts of who we are. That they, and so this isn't about Christians trying to impose their morality on others. In fact, if, if you think about it, it's going to be hard for you to come up with any sort of a law that isn't the imposition of someone's morality on others. This is what we do. It's what laws actually are. This is why we don't live in an anarchist state. It's because we create laws that are rooted in justice. This is rooted in morality. It's what we think is right. It's how we protect the people in our society that need protection. And all of the laws, even the, the ones that are sort of like, they don't really seem particularly important, they're still designed from a moral perspective. So this isn't anything new. You can't just simply say, you know, this is just about Christians trying to impose their morality. This is what we do as a society, is we create laws to protect people. And even if that imposes on the freedoms or the rights of another person, we are willing to do that for the greater good. And we, we sort of have to keep that in mind because this isn't really simply a Christian issue because all laws are morally based. Now, you might notice in the language, of course, I've been using the terms pro-choice and pro-abortion somewhat interchangeably. And so I've heard people say, why are you calling us pro-abortion? Can't we be pro-choice but not pro-abortion? Meaning I, I really want to support choice. I really want to support women in this way, which I don't think is supporting women in that way. But 
But we, we definitely, you know, I wouldn't be called pro-abortion. I mean, who would be pro-abortion? But I, I just, I don't see how you can separate these things out. I just don't understand it. It doesn't work for me because, well, yeah, right, so some years ago there was a bumper sticker. It was more popular, I think, than it, than, than it, than it is now. But it used to say, against abortion, and they'd have a little question mark, against abortion, don't have one. And people would see it and they'd go, yeah, that's right. That uh, sounds very libertarian. It sounds very sophisticated in many ways. Yeah, what are you doing? You know, you don't like it, then don't have one. That's all that, you know, why can't we just live and let live in that way? You know, you do you, man. That's all. You just, and I got to tell you, when you first hear it, you're like, yeah, that actually sounds kind of very American even. Like, it just sounds like what ought to be. Like, why can't we just kind of let people do what they want to do and just not kind of mind our own business? And it is great. That is a great attitude if you're talking about playing Yahtzee, <laughs> right? So you say, hey, you know, you want to play Yahtzee. You do you, man. Play Yahtzee. It's cool. You want to wear, like, wool socks with Birkenstocks? Cool, go ahead, wear it. We're not, what are we going to say? Like, go ahead, man, wear it. But as soon as, like, you know, you want to eat pizza, eat pizza. You don't, don't. What do we care? Even though you should eat, you should eat pizza. But, like, the point is, like, it, it, it works great in so many areas that it's, it's, it's easy for us to assume that it can apply to the abortion debate, but I don't think it can. Because when you start to apply that same attitude to more serious issues, you start to see what happens. I mean, apply it to, say, torture or kidnapping or rape. Just, just insert that in that whole idea and see what you come up with and see if you're comfortable living in a society and creating a society for the next generation that has that sort of attitude about all of these other unbelievably important things. This is the same exact argument that a southern slave owner would have made. Hey, you don't want, you don't, you don't like slavery? Then don't have one. Don't own a slave. That's what you want. Is that how far you want us to go in fighting for what's right? I mean, do we really need more people who will turn a blind eye to injustice in our nation? I, I don't, see, I just don't understand. You don't, hey, you know what? You don't like groping women? Don't do it. Why don't we just stop right there? Because it's not sufficient. There must be more than that. We have to fight for justice. It is simply too contradictory to hold any weight in my mind. I am, you know, you might, you might hear a person, if you were to take that same exact idea, you, could, you imagine the lunacy of a person saying, listen, I am personally against child abuse, but I defend the right of my neighbors to abuse children. You would go, come on, that's stupid. Who would ever do that? That is exactly what we're talking about. That's why these issues are held so passionately. You might say, I am against discrimination, but I don't want to impose my morality on those who wish to discriminate. I don't want to live in a society like that. I think we can do better. Some years ago, this is... A picture of baby Samuel, it's a surgery. Don't worry, it's a beautiful story. This is a spina bifida surgery, cutting edge in its day. The surgeons opened up a womb, operated on little Samuel, and was able to give him 
an incredible life. He's actually still alive. He's like kind of a basketball. He ends up still having to use like leg supports in a wheelchair for things, but he lived. And they were am- it's an amazing story. It's an amazing surgery. These are the kinds of things that we should be celebrating. And so imagine the scene. A group of doctors, they give themselves over to this patient because that's who Samuel was to them. He was their patient. And they go in the womb, and in an early, early stage, they, they, they sew him up, and they do the surgery, and they, 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 they gently place his hand back inside the womb, and they, they stitch up the, the womb so that, the, so that little baby Samuel is, is safe again. And the next day, we, we could abort him. See, there, something is wrong. And when we, go, we turn around, we call that freedom. It doesn't seem like we're celebrating the right things. The photographer who was there, Clancy, he's, he's kind of a famous moment, and, and the picture made its rounds for a whole lot of reasons. But the pho- photographer, he said that w- after the surgery, he had seen this happen. He took this picture. He said he was in total shock for two hours after the surgery. He had just seen this incredible medical miracle, and he had seen this baby restored. This wasn't going to die shortly after, after birth. And he said at that moment, he said, listen, I know now that abortion is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. He says he went from pro-choice to pro-life through that experience. These are the things we could be celebrating as a culture. We could be figuring out how to solve these kinds of problems. We could figure out how together we could help women choose life, help families choose life. And that's what I hope we do. They say that 90% of post-abortion women who experienced complications says they didn't get enough information needed to make an informed choice concerning the risks. 80% said that they probably wouldn't have aborted if they hadn't been so strongly encouraged by family, by friends, or staff at the clinic to go through with it. 83% said that they would have carried to term if they had received the support from family, friends, boyfriends, husbands, their spiritual family. 83%. Listen, the pro-life values line up better with our Christian values. They simply do. It lines up better with the teaching of the Bible, with the history of the Christian church, with the overwhelming body of scientific evidence, the psychological studies done on post-abortive women, the sociological studies done in in countries that favor boys over girls. The pro-life position is simply the most honoring kind, and just position that we can hold. I would love for you to consider where you, at, you are at on this, on this topic. Now, here as a congregation, what we want to do is we want to be the kinds of folks who can encourage and support. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and uh, I am going to be offering up a, uh, a closing prayer for us, asking that God would do a work in our hearts. And as, as I'm, I'm praying here, what I'm going to ask you to consider is the prayer team is going to come up. And I know there are folks here that you hear a message like this and, and you're saying, you know what? Um, I want to do something here. Maybe you have uh, a tough situation. Maybe you have some friends who are facing a tough decision like this. 
And maybe you're saying, you know what, I want to come up and I want to just get prayed for for them. Maybe you're a guy and you've been uh, in a position where you've encouraged it and you just want to come up. Listen, we come to Christ because we have forgiveness of our sins and we have hope in him. And so uh, as the prayer team comes up, I'm just going to encourage you guys after my prayer. Uh, we're going to end uh, after end the service after. Please keep this room in an attitude of prayer. Go hang out in the cafe. But if you want to come up for any sort of encouragement, if you have friends that are facing this decision, you want us to pray for them, come on up. If you yourself um, have experienced the pain of these decisions, please come up. Let people pray for you, lay hands on you, talk to you, just uh, really just uh, encourage you uh, toward experiencing the grace and the hope that is in Christ. So let me just, let me pray. Lord, what I'm asking is that you would change hearts and minds here today. For those, Lord, who have long uh, struggled with this issue or have uh, just simply slid into the position that their culture, uh, that their friend group encouraged them toward, that their politics led them to. Lord, I'm just praying that you would challenge us in these areas. Let us consider, Father, let us reconsider what it is you would have us to hold dear. We pray as a community, Lord, for those who are already here and support life. I pray, Lord, that you would help us figure out how to do that even more fully, that we would be able to address this issue and talk about it in ways that are, that are kind and respectful that, Lord, we would be able to do it with love and with a hand of hope and forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you, in only the way that you can, would lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Even through this, these very difficult conversations. I'm asking, Lord, that those who are here today who are carrying this burden we're facing a tough decision. Lord, I'm praying that you would just pour out your love and your goodness and your hope. It's so easy to fall into despair, Lord. It's so easy to feel overwhelmed. It's so easy to let our more selfish tendencies take hold. Lord, what I'm praying for is, is the selflessness of Christ to be made real to each and every one of us. We're asking that you would do this and so much more in our midst. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.